Hey everyone, welcome back to the New Nine Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Cubitt, and today we have a wicked guest lined up for you guys. Um, to be honest, I didn't think that I'd have a chance to land this guest, but we did. He was so grateful with his time and he had some kick-ass stories, so I'm so excited for this episode to drop. Um, before we get to the interview, make sure you subscribe to the channel, like, and turn on post notifications. We shot a ton of content over the summer, and we're going to be dropping some free lessons and some product reviews and some course features. There's a lot of good stuff lined up, so make sure you subscribe to the channel. Um, Without further ado, let's get to, to the interview. All right, our next guest on the New Nine podcast is the owner of Malbon Golf. Um, Malbon Golf is one of the most hype golf communities and clothing brands um, out there. Some of the people wearing their gear include Justin Bieber, Steph Curry, Eric Costin, Tony Finau. Um, his goal is to share golf with as many people as possible. I'd like to welcome to the show, Stephen Malbon. So I was uh, expecting to get you in California. Whereabouts are you right now? Virginia Beach, Virginia. Do you guys uh, vacation up, out there? Well, I grew up here, and um, when it got a little, you know, started to get weird in LA, I decided to uh, come stay in a family lake house here. So I'm actually on Rudy Lake and Rudy's Inlet and Virginia Beach, baby. That's wicked. So things are pretty crazy, I imagine, with COVID, everything going on in California. How long have you guys been uh, out of California? It's only been a couple months. I mean, we were planning to do a bunch of travel all summer anyway and go to, you know, different work stuff, different family stuff, but um, that all kind of got canceled. So it left me with a very open schedule. And I have a, a 95-year-old grandfather who lives here and my kids are eight and 10. So they're, they're hanging with grandpa and, you know, getting to hang out with my, my parents and my uh, my family and kind of friends I went to school with when I was a kid. I left here when I was 17, so I'm 43 now, and it's been a minute, but it's fun to kind of take the kids and go do all of the things that I did when I was, you know, their age. No kidding. That's awesome. What are the types of things you guys are doing? What are you showing the kids from uh, your youth? We're golfing and fishing and or boating. I'm not much of a fisherman, but there are people fishing around them. It just It's just not me. I'm golfing and, um, you know, there's horses and there's farms and there's country and there's like uh, organic farms where you can go and uh, get, you know, strawberries. And there's just a lot of activities to be done, going to friends' houses, swimming in pools. There's that type of stuff where in L.A. it was kind of limited to uh, almost only thing you can do is golf. Right. Well, yeah, you you mentioned golf. So golf is obviously how I, I know of you. And knowing in the golf world, you obviously uh, created Melbourne Golf. Um, for those of the, for those who don't know Melbourne Golf, what is Melbourne Golf, and what are you guys kind of accomplishing within the the golf niche? The, it's a brand. Melbourne Golf is a brand. It started as content first, so it was an Instagram platform, and I used it as a um, kind of a mood board for what would one day become a company maybe, or at the least it would be able to maybe get me a free greens fee or get me on for a hard. <laughs> to get on golf course or something like that. Um, and I've always had creative businesses where we've been doing creative projects and consulting and different stuff for brands. And I've always had an office. And uh, after we had gotten about 30,000 followers on Instagram from putting up images and, you know, following a ton of golf accounts, et cetera, what happened is uh, my wife thought it would be smart to turn it into a business. We started and opened at first as just a pro shop on 
Fairfax near Melrose in LA and a creative studio in the back. And we had a, a, a small retail store with simulator and um, that was kind of the beginning of it. Now it's obviously more digital, it's more international. And um, we do everything from tournaments. We have a mob and golf club where there's a digital weekly tournaments that we're playing online where it's putting competition bracketed like you would uh, in a college bracket tournaments. And so you play against different people on things like Zoom and Twitch and Instagram Live or FaceTime and you record your, your match, you turn in your match score and you move on to the next round or you wait until next week for the tournament to start. So with the mob and golf club, that's brought us really good positioning to do brand partnerships with some brands like you know, Nike and Glenn Livid and Beats by Dre and different different companies like that who help support the golf club, who support their their customers and their corporate um, employees and such with buying apparel from us. And they also are, you know, just good brand partners to have. So, so that's something that has helped us through the years in getting the brand out there by working with big brands that have a big following and have a lot of trust from their consumers. So that helps when you're a new golf brand and you're trying to sell a polo, you know, it's easier to sell a Nike polo or a polo Ralph Lauren polo than it is to sell our brand. Because if you buy a Nike polo, you already know the fit, the size, the material, et cetera. Right. So, um, Obviously, we do apparel, um, both both direct to consumer and a little bit of wholesale. You mentioned uh, obviously the collaborations that you do. How does that start? How are you an emerging golf brand, and you are, you're able to partner up with Nike or some pretty big names? How does that happen? I've worked with Nike for years prior, and was working with helping with consulting and doing different things to help them kind of get younger in golf and you know post Tiger winning every week type of thoughts. So. It started off there. We did some activations for them at the waste management where we had a suite on the 17th hole and we got different people in there and hosted with influencers and did uh, stretching and yoga in the morning and all different types of activations. Brooks was a, was a super small, like, I mean, not small, he's just a rookie or, or something, but he wasn't a huge name. <clears throat> so Brooks was in there and Tony and I got to meet a lot of the guys uh, there who then have kind of been friends and have been helpful to the growth of our brand yeah that's so cool that uh, you guys are able to do that it's uh, you know looking on your guys instagram feed you have so many cool affluent people you know coming by the shop and hitting on your simulator you know you've had guys like i've seen like justin bieber and uh, royal rory mcelroy is this a consistent thing that these guys are coming by the shop or is it different events that you put on or how are you getting these guys in the door all of the above hollywood probably is the best the, the, or, or the uh the easiest part of it is that you are in Hollywood and you're down the road from where all the fashion stores are and the streetwear and Supreme and, you know, all of that. Hollywood, obviously, you have a ton of entertainment people who live there or come there often for business. And <clears throat> we have a good storefront where it's very easy to see the shop. It's <clears throat> it's on the corner. And, um, you know, golf helps people. uh you know, there'll be a random celebrity will pull over and stop and run in and be like, what is this? And it's like, oh, there's a simulator in here, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, Can I go hit? Can I hit balls? Sure. Because golf is so addictive and so, you know, obsessive. If I'm driving down the road anywhere in the world and I see like a golf discount store or a golf superstore or something, I'm just begging people to pull over. 
And I really haven't any intention of buying anything. I just want to go in and talk to golfers and look at golf stuff and ask questions, maybe hit a ball or two, you know, putt, putt a few in the putting area, look at the new Scotty camera putters, and then I'm good. I can leave. I get my fix and get gone. So Hollywood, there's really a ton of entertainment people there. And then the location helped for their curiosity or their personal friendships um, that I've had made and friends of friends and things like that. That's so cool. I can totally relate to that, that, yeah, if I go by a golf course I've never been to or go to a golf shop that, yeah, you want to pop in, it's a big hobby, you know, what's new, what's, uh, what's fresh on the shelves. And I can totally relate to just wanting to be in a golf store. Um, You building a golf culture isn't necessarily the first culture that you've kind of helped build or create. Um, For those of you that don't know, you know, you created Frank 151 or or 151. How did that come to be? What was kind of the the groundbreaking um, idea that you had to, to build the Frank 151? Frank was a, a electronic pre-press class in art school in Atlanta. So I had to do a digital, I had to electronically do pre-press for a printing uh, machine, if you will. So I had to do that and we had to lay out a magazine and that was one of the things we were tasked to do. I, at that point, I had a lot of friends that were really great creatives and great DJs and musicians and, and a, a really cool group of people, artists, etc. But they were super underground and they didn't know anyone at the newspaper or at Hot 97, the radio station. So there was real no, no outlet, really no outlet, pre obviously pre-internet. So we did it as like a um, underground kind of like cult uh, underground guide, if you will. So everything from the cool record shops and nightclubs and smoke shops and interview DJs and musicians and um, graffiti artists, skateboarders and all of that type of stuff in Atlanta, Georgia only. And then from, from what just started only in Atlanta, we were sending the magazine out with our press kits and trying to sell ads to a lot of companies in Southern California, which are like DC skate shoes and Oakley and all of this. And then we were also sending a lot out in press kits to um, Madison Avenue, kind of New York city ad agencies, um, different ways to, to, to generate revenue and, and advertisements. And very quickly, I realized that we had a, a really, really good product, but we had a kind of a small audience because there's only so many cool people only in Atlanta or that like-minded person that liked underground culture, et cetera. And so what just started in Atlanta only, um, I realized that the art directors and the marketing directors of like the skate companies and the ad agencies, they actually almost liked what we were doing more than the people did in Atlanta. And from there, it just kind of went from, from city to city. And we ended up eventually publishing, you know, a hundred, hundred different books or a hundred plus books and probably five different languages and Japanese and French Portuguese, et cetera. That's amazing. Did you have a sales background or how did you start approaching all of these companies to get advertising? Um, it was just logical, like the PR person and the marketing person and the art director of these companies are probably pretty important. So you call and ask, or we would go to trade shows often. So there would be like a skate trade show and you'd go to the trade show and you'd walk up and say like, Hey, is, you know, the marketing person here. And they'd say, well, she, you know, she or he is busy. And you'd be like, Oh, I'm sure she is. Can I just get the business card? Right. And then at that point, it's just, you know, stay persistent and stay patient and uh, try to try to live your dream. 
what was your dream when you were going to art school? What was the dream that you had in mind? What did you think your future looked like? Well, I always wanted to be an art director, a graphic designer or something, but I knew that if I was to move to New York City and try to be an art director, that it would help if I had something under my belt. So the dream at the beginning of it, it was like, if I can just have like a little business and get a following, it would build a great portfolio. It would show that I think business and creative, and it would probably help me get a job one day at like one of those companies that I was soliciting for ads as an art director or a graphic designer. God forbid I'd make it to the point of a creative director, you know? Wow. What are some tips that you would have for people that are trying to grow their own culture, trying to grow a brand, knowing everything that you know now? I mean, I don't really know that I know what I was doing or what I am doing. I just know what I like. And I think I like whatever, you know, I think in general, if, if you wake up and you put an outfit together and you walk out of the house and five people say, Hey, I love your outfit. Well, you're just lucky because you didn't design it for them with the outfit that you put on. You designed it for yourself. So when you looked in the mirror, you said, Oh, I look fresh. And then if you go outside and other people think you look fresh too, then that's good. But if you go outside and everyone thinks you look horrible, you're, that's just how it is, right? And you have to be able to know what you like and be stay focused with what you like. And if other people like it too, then, you know, then you have a pretty good opportunity. You mentioned when you grew, grew your Instagram following to 30,000, was it just you running the Instagram or do you have a team that kind of runs behind no, the social just, stuff? I still pretty much run it. I mean, the, when we drop products, when we drop products, there's, there's obviously a, photographer shoots thing on white screen and shoots all of the products and things like that. But in general, the Instagram is, um, yeah, it's just a mood board is what it's always kind of been. And, um, it's pretty straightforward, you know, iPhone, find really cool images, things that I like. And then I hope that other people like it too, but you know, you guys have some really unique art within, I don't know what you would call your logo, but like the buckets logo, the golf ball, is that something that you drew, you drew up or how did you kind of come to create yep. that? That comes from like 1950s POS vintage golf ads. I mean, golf POS, like the little statues of a ball for Pinfield or Dunlop or whatever the oldest golf ball companies there are. A lot of people used to do these little like six, six inch, five inch kind of character or figures that would sit near the register and it would say like, you need a Pinfield ball or whatever it would say. So actually one of those characters eyes were the spiral eyes that are on our characters, you know, eyes. Yeah. I guess that kind of means like being trippy and it also means like a putt going in. Right. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. I love the logo. It's so easily recognizable that you've kind of created, you know, your own little Nike check mark that it's uh, synonymous with the, the brand that you guys have. Um, you have some really cool clothing. Like I'm totally into your guys style and, and the clothes that you're pumping out. What's kind of the process behind building your own clothing? Um, I'm interested in kind of where you guys get your manufacturing done or what's kind of the process beginning to end from concept to a finished product. Um, so it's, it's, again, it's like stuff I like, like right now we're designing some really, really great, um, you know, fleece quarter zips that are almost like North face or CB winter fleeces that I wore as a kid skiing on the East coast. Um, it's like what products that I would really want to wear and, and not making products that are like only for golf. 
Mm. So making stuff that are, you could wear golfing, of course, a quarter zip's great, but you could also wear a quarter zip watching golf at home on a Sunday. And, you know, you could wear a polo out to dinner as easily as you would wear a polo to play golf. So the process is basically have an idea. We have designed a couple of people on the design team. We obviously try to think about first, like, is it realistic? Can we make this at the quantities that we need to make them at? Um, you know, like I want to make rain finders and stuff like that, but like, I'm not in the position to make range finders at this point. So it would be better to make one with Bush note, but we're obviously in the position to make polos and t-shirts and quarter zips and hats and golf bags and um, shoe bags and head covers and ball markers. So golf towels, like all of that stuff is just, you know, I think running our shop on Fairfax for a year or so before we started making our own products and running it as a pro shop, it really helped us be able to tell like what our customer wants. Mm. Uh, we almost did opposite of what your traditional business was where you would build a really good product and then say, now I have to build an audience. So we built an audience and then we're just figuring out products that make sense for that audience. That's cool. That makes total sense. Um, I want to dive into you as a golfer. Where did you kind of start golfing? What got you into the game? And uh, where's your golf game at right now? I started golfing here in Virginia Beach. I, um, I played tennis first. So my golf swing is an Yvonne Lindell crosshand, cross court backhand, top spin, winner. That's my exact golf swing still. <laughs> so I started off hitting draws when I was young and I still naturally, you know, hit a, hit a draw. I have to force myself to play a cut to try to score better. But um, yeah, Virginia Beach and I grew up uh, here playing tennis and then I got a job at Hell's Point Golf Course. I got a job at Hell's Point in the cart barn and I was picking balls in the range and cleaning golf carts. That was my job when I was about 12 years old. And then next thing you know, like most of the kids were a little older. So all of those guys were playing golf often. And I figured, you know, the more the better I got at golf, the more often they would ask me to come play with them, et cetera. So I started, you know, I started playing golf constantly and, and hitting balls and practicing and training. And I even had a, an assistant pro there who kind of took a liking to me. And um, he even taught me how to like work to help my golf game. So if I was going to have to like, let's say take an ax and, and, and hack up a, a tree trunk, right? Like your first, feeling it's like oh my god I can't believe I have to do this and then he's like well if you keep your arms limp and you use your hip and you just rip into this stump you're actually going to be able to hit the ball further because of it wow so that was uh I think a lot of that I used to take the school bus home to get dropped off at this at the golf course where I worked and if, on my days off and I would you know, pick, take the range, fill up 300 balls, dump them out and hit all 300 with my wedge. And then the next day, the nine iron, the next day, the eight iron, and so on and so forth. So that after you hit 400 eight irons and you go play and you get like your exact distance for your eight iron, it's like, let's go. You like, must've gotten pretty good if you were hitting 400 balls a day. Yeah, I got probably as good as I've ever been by the time I was about 15 or 16, which is where I am still today, probably a five handicap, and I can shoot 70 or 82. Okay, yeah, I know that swing. Have you broken 70 before? Yeah, a couple times, but I don't, I don't go out thinking, like, I can shoot 66. Right. I'm happy to shoot 73 or four and call it a day. Where'd you shoot your best round? Do you remember? No. I mean, I've shot a couple times in the 60s. I've, I've shot in like, you know, 
I just, here's a good example. I just went and played Pinehurst and I played Pinehurst number two from the back tees. And we had, you know, about eight of us. It was a lot of different matches, et cetera. And I had five birdies, which is good. Yep. And I had five doubles in the rest pars. Wow. So what a stupid seven, game. Seven, like 70, great 77. Yeah. I heard Pinehurst number two is a beast. Was it what you expected? Yeah. And I was, you either hit it right by the hole where you can make birdie or it like trickles past the hole and rolls off the back or it like turns around and rolls off the front. So I think that was one of those days where the golf gods were on my favor. And I was actually, you know, you're hitting like a full five iron. So I can't really imagine it was my skill level that made it stop on the top of that, you know, uh, pool table. Yeah because there's not a lot of room to land and not a lot of room to keep it close. And then what else happened? I, I heard that some guy who won the U S open there ages ago, he, he putted everything in from like 30 yards in. So wow. from 30 yards in, just putt it. Don't even think about um, pitching it or chipping it because it won't check and stop by the hole. So you just did you, did you like, try that out? I putted the entire time. I never chipped. Wow. Well, that's a good, uh, good lesson. If uh, we ever make it out there, are you a member anywhere in uh, the LA area? Where do you like to play there? Rolling Hills in Los Angeles at Rolling Hills country club. It was redesigned by the guys that did band and dunes. Super cool. And then here in Virginia beach, I'm playing with Cavalier golf and yacht club. Nice. And I also play at uh, Bayville. Cool. Do you play any money games? Do you ever gamble on the course? Constantly. What, what games do you guys play? Focus. (laughs) We what play games? Wolf, we play this three-point game where there's a high bet and a low bet. And you have, um, uh, if you win the high and the low, you get three points. If you win one of the two, you get one. And if you tie, obviously you tie. And so that game's super fun because it's like if you and I are playing, you know, our two buddies and you hit it five foot on a par three and I hit it in the water, I might as well just ride in the cart, right? Right, Because right. there's no way I'm going to do better than you. You're either going to make birdie par or, I guess, worst case bogey, but I would have to, like, knock – I would have to drop and knock it in in order to help. Right. Well, I might just try to knock it in or something, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to finish the putting, et cetera. But with the point game, there's a high and a low. So, you know, three beats four and seven beats eight. Right. Yeah. So when someone hits it out of bounds, it's like, just stay in there, stay in there. Like anything could happen. Yeah. And the next thing you know, the guy skulls a wedge from 70 yards and he's out of bounds. And it's like, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Just staying in the game. What, what game do you guys play where the most money's exchanged? Probably that those, I mean, that's my two favorite to play the, the, the three point game because the three point game is, um, you know, it, 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 you can press when you're pissed. We normally play press when you're pissed, so it can get outrageous. And birdies pay the same as the hole, and so do greenies and stuff like that. So, you know, a two birdie sweep is five points. And if it, the points are a couple hundred bucks each, it's like gets to be pretty, you know, nerve wracking. No five. kidding. Have you ever played with anyone that wanted to play for some bigger uh, coin than you were willing to put up at the time? Yeah, it's normally just like I'll have like a friend who's a bookie, you know, and they just want to keep doubling and doubling and doubling. It's like, dude, this isn't even like, and also it's always when they want, whenever that happens, it's like you'll play the first 16 holes for like a couple hundred bucks a hole. And then all of a sudden they want to play for like 2000 a hole, the last two holes. And it's like getting dark. It's like, nah, I'm good. That's hilarious. Uh, Can you think of maybe the best day you ever had on the golf course? Um, 
I played, I walked Cyprus during the riots and, and the, everything that was happening, the protests and the pandemic and the, all the madness in LA. We left like the day before all that happened. And they were, um, I, I walked Cyprus with my wife, Cyprus Point in Monterey Peninsula. So that was a pretty cool one. And then um, little things like winning a member guest with my dad at his country club or like, playing with my son in Pinehurst, playing wolf with my son on the cradle on the par three course. There were 10 of us and my son was eight years old. And so he was in on the action. It was 300 a man for a hole in one and, you know, $10 wolf or whatever it was, but there's like 10 of us. So uh, he had a stroke, a hole. So everyone kept picking him. Right. You know, he would like hit a three wood on the green when we're hitting gap wedges. Wow. And he's laying zero, you know? So it's like, I'll take him and try to coach him <laughs> into two budding. <laughs> That's probably that. Wifey, that's a, dad, and son. That's so cool. Um, can you think of maybe the worst day you ever had on the golf course? It's hard, man. It's fun. Golf's fun, you know? Hard to have a bad day. I don't really care how I play. Like, I don't get too emotional. Uh, I get emotional in a hype way, like happy. Like if I'm knocking pots and I'm winning bets and I'm drinking and I get really fun and happy, but like, even if I'm playing bad, like I don't, it's just like fuck off's hard. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Fair enough. I don't know. I can't hit it today. It's how it goes. <laughs> what's, what's your drink of course or drink of choice on the course? So um, I like to drink Glenlivet. I like to drink scotch, uh, like scotch. Uh, that started when I was, I played golf in Scotland and, um, that was like a thing to do, you know, and drink like a shot of scotch with the caddies before you tee off. It's okay. Like, yeah, let's get on the same wave. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if I'm going to drink um, beer or something, I'll probably go with those white claws or something like that. Something, you know, tastes like, like yeah. that type of uh, Ashland um, hard seltzer. Is that the uh, collab you guys have right now? I know you yep. have a drink collab. Yep. We just did one with them. So that's only available in Southern California. And, I actually haven't got any yet, so I'm hoping that uh, like my shipment arrives. But, yeah, those are good. We did a fruit punch, so it's like sparkling moderate water with a little uh, fruit punch in it, you know, and it's hot sun playing golf in California. It's a good way to kind of get into one. That's hilarious. Do those what's guys reach out to go to, dude? That's a good question. Yeah, those uh, vodka sodas, big vodka guy, big gin guy. My uh, father-in-law is uh, a huge, he's a diabetic, and gin's one of the only uh, drinks he can drink, so he pounds it. So I'm happy to pound gins with him. Yeah. Uh, we'll try beers, any type that, you know, microbrewery comes to the course, happy to try those. A little rougher on the gut, so the vodka sodas are uh, a good choice. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big proponent of weed on the course. We're, uh, yeah, it's obviously legal where we are. I'm pretty sure it's legal in LA too. So it's a, yeah, if you're having a bad. It's legal everywhere yeah, until it's not. Yeah, well, exactly. You know? But yeah, like I, I'd rather smoke. I play better smoke than I do drunk. And I, I, I know guys that play better drunk than they do stone. So it's a funny mix. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of both. Like sometimes if I'm smoking, if basically if, when I first smoke for the first time of the day, like the next hour, I'm like, my mind's very active and I'm very thinking and I'm very like, um, you know, I don't know, visual and, and, and more like having ideas and such. But after about an hour, it kind of mellows off or then not. Then I'm just kind of like comfortable and calm and, um, you know, and I can play fine and drinking the same thing. Like it's like drinking the opposite. It's like weed. I want to get high and then let it like mellow out a bit before I tee off. 
drinking, yeah. it's like I want to get like near blacked out so that I can then completely let go and start just throwing darts. Yeah, that's it's like hilarious. one or the other, you know. <laughs> <laughs> have you had a Have you had a new nine on the course? Have you ever been shit in the bed and then you pound the drinks or you have a smoke or whatever the yeah. case may be? Then you kind of turn time. it on all the time. Yeah, all the time. I just played at, at Kinlock. It's a really really good course up near Richmond, Virginia, private course here, and I just played a couple of days with. Uh, there was like eight or 12 of us and you know i shoot i would sh i played each day and i shot like even or one or two under on the back in the front i shot like 40 41 or something just you know and it's like hard it's like you keep you're like pre i press early where i'm like all right come on get off to a good start and i'll hit like a perfect drive and then I have like a stock seven iron it's like hit it thin Oh, shit. And then it's like start off with bogey, and it's like, oh god, here we go. And then like the next hole, I want to make a birdie, so I try to cut the corner a little bit and it nips a limb, and now I'm like double bogey. So it's like I'm three over after two holes. Here we go. <laughs> you know, and you're behind the gun at that point, and then you're kind of pressing, and then at some point you just say like, well, I just shot a fucking forty-one or two in the front. Like, what do I care at this point? And then you can shoot thirty-four in the back because you've already kind of given up, given yourself over to like something else that's wicked um have you had a new nine in life maybe in uh, relationships or works that have things been not going your way and you're able to turn it around and uh, come out ahead yeah i think that blessings come in disguises and sometimes it's always darkest before it gets light so like you need pain and you need problems and you need you need like shitty relationships so that you can realize how awesome the relationship you are in now, right? And if you never had a shitty relationship, you wouldn't be as in love as with you are is with your wife as you are today. So I think all of it, like having businesses where you're miserable, makes you want to start a business where you're not miserable. That makes and, total sense. You know, doing doing things that are really bad for you that make you really really miserable make you say like, all right, well I probably should like pick up some new hobbies and then that makes you more awesome. So you almost have to have the shitty front nine in order to play the good back nine sometimes. Totally. And that's kind of the, the brand and the culture that we're trying to create that, you know, good comes from bad and that shit happens and they're just life lessons. So I think a lot of people can, uh, you know, empathize or, uh, you know, understand those relationships or tough work to just, you know, per persevere and, you know, make your own luck sometimes. Right. And but, it's like golf's hard, man. Golf's hard. Like I said, like, the second hall, I tried to cut the corner and I nipped the one little limb and then it just like spikes the ball into four foot rough. And it's like, <sighs> I mean, what are you going to do? You know, it's over. The ball's in four foot rough. It's like, okay, take an unplayable lie, try to hit the next one five foot and make a putt. I mean, that's all you could do. You just Absolutely. have to believe that you can hit the next one five foot putt and make, and make a par. Right. I played Tony Finau one time and Tony hit on the number one hole at Riviera. He had, uh, he had like a three wood or something up to the front of this big trench on the first hole of rib and you have to kind of lay up for it. But so I hit driver, he hits three wood. His, my driver's right where his three wood is and he's got a hybrid. He's going on the green and I have like three wood or something, you know, and he uh, tops the hybrid and it goes like through the ditch, comes up out of the other side of the shit into the fairway and he looks at us all and he just says, well, at least it went straight, right? <laughs> I mean, he fully topped a, a hybrid, right? Wow. He walks up, hits a seven iron, three foot. It's like, birdie. It doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter that he just topped it because he stayed positive and he made the best out of it. He said, well, at least it went straight, guys. I mean, he could have topped it. It shanked off right on behind a tree. 
No, I went straight. Went down the fairway. He's just going to hit a wet seven iron on and make the putt. Birdie. That's hilarious. And you got to witness it firsthand. You're like, okay, I can see why this guy's a multi-millionaire yeah, you have to play in the game, right? Like that in life and in golf, I think it's just like, shit. Who are some other kind of cool, notable players that uh, you get out uh, on the course with? A lot of my friends that I play with, I mean, I have some really, really great friends. I have a friend, Tim Gavin, who's amazing. He's, um, he's a great dad and uh, a, f- a very, very infamous pro skateboarder. There's a bunch of skate guys, Sean Malto and, and Eric Austin, but and guys like Sean B and um, Doug Diggler and Rocky Marciano and Schoolboy Q and that whole crew is super fun. George Lopez is the ball. He's the best. Go play with him by myself early in the mornings at Lakeside. He's super fun to play with. Ron Del Barrio is my swing coach. He's great. Um, some of the pro guys like, you know, Ricky, Cameron, Tony, Rory, all of those guys are amazing. That's so cool. Um, what's the biggest difference playing with a professional golfer like Tony or Ricky or those guys in versus? Okay, so if, an, if, if, if I'm like a five handicap, so if I tee off, let's imagine I just – you know, shank, like, like block it right. And it hits a tree. And I'm like, by the ladies tee, right? Like they do the exact same thing. It happens, right? Like they, they have, you know, you hit a limb or something. You didn't mean to hit the limb. You hit the limb. It spikes the ball. You're 450 yards out on a par five and you're in the marsh. Mm-hmm. Like they're still going to make par. Right. Or I'm going to make a double or something. I'm going to like try to, I don't know. I, they, they don't, care because they can knock 20 30 foot putts in like no big deal so it's like you know i think that the 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 biggest difference is that and and it's also another story tony 18 at riviera the same day we he tees off he he tees off on the pros and i teed off one up and we were the same distance so i hit i had like 190 yards or something right and it's uphill so i just said i'm just gonna smoke a five iron Right, because uphill in the wind a little, I hit five iron as good as I can. I'm like ten yards short, directly at the flag, ten yards short, on a very hard up and down at that point, you know. And so then Tony hits and he hits it like three foot, and I go, "What'd you hit? Five? He says, "No, I hit an easy three. Really? Yeah, I just hit a little flighted three iron, little chip three iron. Let it hit on the front, release, roll right up by the hole and stop. So wow. I think it's they're just they don't have the big scores like amateurs do or like five handicaps do. And they make every putt, you know, if I get five, 10, 12 foot birdie putts, like I don't really think I'm going to make them all. Like Tony knows he's going to make all of them. Wow. It's just like, I don't hit it 12 foot and make par. Right. Like make the 12 footer, you know, <laughs> if only it was, if only it was that easy to guys like That's you why I hit it right? here to make it. I didn't make it here to fucking lag it up there and tap in a par. Yeah. That's hilarious. Steven. that's they all uh, the putts. They hit their putts a lot harder too. Their, their, their putts, they hit a lot harder because they don't care if they go five foot past because they know they'll make the five footer back. So a 15 foot putt, you know, sometimes it seems like they're going to, they're hitting it so fast that it, hit, it normally hits the back of the cup and goes in. But if it doesn't hit the cup, it's going to roll four or five foot by, but they don't care. We're like, I'm nervous to just three putt. Like, I don't want to hit it five foot back. <laughs> I three putt. That's funny. How do you get, how do you, how did you get introduced to Tony? Through Nike. Okay, Through Nike. I got you. So would they have kind of playing yeah, outings and you not- get paired with them? Yeah, well, I did events for them and, and activations where their young pros would 
make appearances or whatever. And so um, that's where I first met them. And then I met like his, you know, his uncles and his dad and the whole gang, the whole Samoan gang. You see them when they, when they, they're very easy to spot. Yeah, I believe that. Um, I just want to plug Malbon. Where can uh, the following go see you? Uh, Instagram. Uh, do you guys have YouTube? I'm at uh, Mob and Goth, M-A-L-B-O-N, and MobandGoth.com. Uh, and there's MobandGothClub.com as well. What uh, What are you guys working on? What's coming soon uh, this fall? It's hard to tell what time it is and what day it is and what part of the year it is, right? Like fall... Uh, We'll be looking like a Gore-Tex rain suits. Gore-Tex rain suits is something I'm really excited about making really, really proper rain suits and hats and umbrellas and like rain gear, et cetera. And doing it with uh, having fun, but also doing it with like the top notch, most high durable Gore-Tex, you know, Korean made uh, rain suits, right? Like I'm super excited about that. We're doing some really cool robes and pajamas and slippers and stuff for Christmas that I'm excited about. Cool. And different collaborations and projects that, that we're doing with other people. We're doing a Beats by Dre headphones and, I'm um, sorry, a, a pill. So like a cart, that you know, for your cart that you yep. can take with you. Yep. That's coming out like a week or two before the Masters. So that's that's exciting. That's so cool. I That's everything that I have for you, Stephen. I really appreciate you coming on. This is definitely uh, going to help me. And I had a blast talking to you. So thanks so much for joining the uh, Thank New you, podcast. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. You guys have fun out there. Yeah, I appreciate it. Okay, so that wraps up our interview. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, Stephen was a wicked guest and had so many cool stories and he's such a really good guy to get to know. Uh, Make sure you follow Malbon Golf and uh, make sure you subscribe to our channel, the New Nine Golf channel, as well as the podcast. Um, Like and comment. Let me know what you guys think and uh, do your best to support uh, the golfing community. So thanks again and we'll talk to you soon.